you're like so gay. Hello, all you sexual deviants. And sexual deviant wannabes. What's going on? What's up? My name is Aaron. And my name is Matt. And this, and this is... is Queering the Air. Queering all the air. The airwaves, the radio waves, the podcast waves. Yeah. I mean, maybe those are kind of all the, the same The ocean thing. waves. Anyways. I don't really know what that means. I don't either. How are we doing today, Matthew? Good. <laughs> and you? Good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm literally sitting in the middle of a park in Cooperstown, New York, holding a microphone, as you can see. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who's driving by is like someone that I know from my childhood, and I'm just like, hi. I mean, we love small town life. Uh, we love coming back and visiting small town life. Yeah, I don't know if like technically I would consider my hometown small town. There's so many other towns around it that are of larger populations. There's, it's not like yours at all. It's like a normal city suburb. So like in some regards, it's small town, but with the amount of things there are to do yeah. in other towns and how easy it is to like get to New York City and stuff, it almost isn't a small yeah. town, but it is, I don't really know. Anyway, I live in the suburbs. <laughs> or I'm from the suburbs and I've been here I'm currently sitting in my childhood bedroom. Fun. Not nearly as nice as sitting in a park, unfortunately. I am yeah. a bit envious, I will say. <laughs> well, my childhood bedroom doesn't belong to me anymore. <laughs> oh. Which is weird. Yeah, I came back to visit and my parents have since sold the house and both moved out of Cooperstown. So wow. I've been staying in our little like lake cabin and there's no service and no Wi-Fi. So it's been a very nice little disconnect reset. I mean, there's like basically no walls in that thing, right? Isn't it just kind of like one big room? Yeah, it's like a, a studio is like the best way to describe it. But it's all you need. Yeah, honest, really. Honestly. How's your life going? Like I said, I've been, I'm home. I've been home for a little over a week now. Um, I um, haven't really left the house all, so not living my bestest life but don't really have cause to complain so I'm, yeah not really like a whole lot to tell i yeah. feel like i i feel like i did something worth of note but but i did it <gasps> but nothing's coming to mind <laughs> i think my body's having a weird reaction to the water here i felt a little funky but i don't feel sick yeah yeah home life is is genuinely pretty boring i don't know how i'm gonna survive the fall especially when like my both of my parents are going to be home all the time because my mom is working from home until at least january oh party yeah so it's gonna be really cute so i've been cleaning out my room a lot i didn't realize how much shit i had collected <laughs> my family's just a whole bunch of hoarders but like subtle, but subtle hoarders so i can finally sit at a desk in my room now for the first time ever first time ever yeah. Wow. Anyway, that was super boring. What's going on with you? Tell me about your hometown. So I grew up in Cooperstown, New York, which if you're ever in a trivia situation and they say, what is Cooperstown known for? Matthew, what is Cooperstown mostly known for? The Baseball Hall of Fame. Wow. <laughs> yeah, sports. <laughs> I'm Although actually I'd say literally sitting next to the Baseball Hall of Fame right now. That's the that's the park that I'm in. Yeah, Cooperstown is known as quote unquote the birthplace of baseball. Is that started true? Baseball here. 
Um, I mean, it, it depends who you ask. <laughs> like, okay, some fair. people say that it was started in Jersey. Some people say that it was started in New York City. But the folklore is that it was started here, which is why the Baseball Hall of Fame is here. I mean, I don't know what's real anymore, you know? I mean, is anything real anymore? No. <gasps> <laughs> I feel like there's some other things that Cooperstown is probably known for. Like, Omegang Brewery is definitely known beyond upstate New York. And there's also, like, Glimmerglass Opera. And the lake, which is where I've been for the past week. Uh, I'm so jealous. That sounds so nice. It's literally been your past five months, sis. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'm still jealous. <laughs> yeah, but I think I'm going to Boston tomorrow. That's my current plan. Honestly, might just go and, like, be working the whole time. We shall see. Do you have any corrections from last week? I haven't really heard anything from anyone. Well, that's good. I think it was maybe 40 minutes after the episode got posted that I got some, a correction. Yeah, but it was from Dave. It's just from my boyfriend. I was talking about like bears and twinks and different... Oh, the Hugh Jackman thing. Yeah, like different, I don't want to say tribes, but like different categories or subsets or classifications. There we go. I was talking about different classifications of gay men that are like very specific to body type. I use Hugh Jackman as an example of a bear. A, he was fresh in my mind because, I mean, he's pretty much always in my mind, but I think I had also just like watched X-Men or something. But anyway, I feel like in X-Men, he just puts off like a really hairy vibe. I looked it up. He actually isn't really that hairy. So he's not a great example of a bear. For anyone who's wondering, a bear, pretty large amount of body hair. Maybe not like a large amount, but has body this hair. This is getting so technical and perception-y. <laughs> I know. I, because a bear I mean, is someone I feel with like, body like hair is generally a little bit bigger. I like, yes. This, that is true. But I think that if you perceive someone as something, it's like, I'm kind yeah. of the mindset where I'm like, I can't really tell you that your perception of Hugh Jackman is wrong. For anybody who felt a, some sort of way <laughs> thinking that Hugh Jackman was a bad example of a bear, I can understand where you might be coming from. Oh God. Lordy lordy. No one correct us ever again because look at how bad we are at- Yeah, I take it, but I'm, I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm not an expert on anything and neither is Matt and we're not claiming to be experts on anything. No. This is just a, an opinion, and these these thoughts and opinions do not reflect back on any... Us. I don't fucking know what I'm saying. <laughs> Only other note before this podcast that we get into is um, thank you for your patience with the sound. It's not perfect this episode. I had some personal technical difficulties with my recording, so we got a little crafty with how we made the episode come together, but I think it's pretty decent for the most part. Yeah, and if you have any qualms with it, you can go fuck yourself. Um... <laughs> Or you can donate money to us so that we can buy like actual equipment. Oh my god. <laughs> that's 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 what if you really hate our sound that much, that's gonna be the solution that I suggest to you. Right. Become our sugar daddy, um Glucose sponsor. Guardian. I'm open. Anybody can be a sugar daddy. Daddy is a oh. non gendered term in my brain. <laughs> wow. You know what? I love that. Yeah. I really can get behind that. Just I don't yeah. <laughs> 2020. 2020, That's... the year that everything went to shit and gender was forgotten forever. I think I was, I think it was like February, I like met one of my friend's dogs and I was like, oh my god, like what's her name? And my friend was like, it's a boy. And I was like, it's 2020, everybody is she. Like I was like, calm down. Like I was like, I'm really not trying to misgender your dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Dogs, also like dogs don't have 
gender. Yeah. So no, like, that's true. There's no gender for dogs. There's sex. I mean, maybe so they fuck do. that person. Maybe they do. I've never been able to talk to a dog. I need to... Should we, should we just get into the episode? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we're saying. We're going to piss somebody off soon. This, yeah, we're really, <laughs> we're really walking the line here. If you think that your dog has a gender, please go to Aaron's DMs and let him know. And on that note, <laughs> enjoy the episode. We are joined today by one of our very good friends, Mr. Dave Chen. Hello. I use the pronouns he, his, him. Welcome. How are you? How today? are you? I'm great, and I'm honored to be um, a guest here. We're, We're so very happy to have you. Jinx. Oh. <laughs> that was pretty simultaneous. Yeah, it's the first time that's happened so far. Since I know. I'm surprised. Yeah, I was watching Aaron's mouth move and uh, was hearing Matt's voice. <laughs> it's a ventriloquism act. <laughs> we actually made a video. Well, I mean, Aaron made a video about how we have one brain and just like say all the same things. Hive mind. Yeah. <laughs> I could see after, that. I could see that. Well, especially yeah. after college when we just were like together all day, every day doing Constantly. all the same things. It was just like, where does Matt end and Aaron begin? That's a really um, deep question. It is. Guess, <laughs> yeah. We keep getting very philosophical <laughs> with that. Excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to be a guest here and also to just be talking to you guys because I miss you both. Oh, I miss, I miss you, you too. Uh, it's been so long. Even before the pandemic, I was like, it's been I too know. long. I know. It's um, time to come out to P-Town to visit us. Oh, seriously. And, and for everyone listening. Um, Provincetown is, or P-Town is Provincetown, which is like the very, very tip of Cape Cod. There's lots of rainbow everywhere. It's yes. very gay, very queer. Very uh, queer. Yeah. So you just got back from Provincetown? I just got back a couple of hours ago. I have to come back every Sunday. Sometimes I stretch it to Monday um, mm. to see patients at the hospital for a couple of days before I go back there. So Peter, my husband, has stayed out there for the last four straight months. Wow. Four months? I was I thought you were gonna say weeks, but four months? Nope. So since four months. March? Uh since the end of March. He came back um one time in April for a few days, and then he did come back last week for a few days. Uh, but like there was a good three and a half month stretch in there where he did not come back to South Boston at all. Good for I'm him. impressive. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. He's loving it. He's like loving it. Because you can just wander out on the street there and kind of run into people like Kai, our dear friend Kai, <laughs> yes. who introduced yes. all of us. Uh-huh. Well, and who is going to feel quite some way about Yeah, we're all going to get a FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> or seven. <laughs> I think so. They had um, drinks before dinner tonight. Um, so oh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad Peter has some company while he's there, but it's yeah. nice. Cause you can't, we don't walk out of our place here in South Boston and run into anyone. Mm. Uh, but there you can just like, you know, be riding your bike around and run into like 10 people on the sidewalk. So it's really, and be by the, the water and, um, have beautiful views and, mm. You know, it's really lovely, as you all know. So, like, when you were on those dating apps, when you were on eHarmony, 
Okay, Cupid. Back before you were a oh my happily God. married woman. Before you were happily married, when you were in Rochester, what was your profile like? Uh, first of all, this was way before those websites. Um, this was in the um, the time of Planet Out, which I've I don't even know if you guys have heard of. No. There was something called Planet Out. Also, like all the various like Yahoo and excite there was a um a search engine called excite that had like personal sections and were you um, ever a craigslist girl yeah (laughs) you know i i think i may have been yeah i think i that's so fun i think i hit all of them um m for m um (laughs) and my and my profiles were never short so like oh, you were just were, laying it all out oh my there. god I, mean, I like I, I feel like you are the type it makes sense to me that you would like be like this is who i am this is what i'd like yeah um so the fast facts um so i'm david chen i uh have been in boston for almost 20 years now um i uh, I'm originally from New Jersey and uh, moved here by way of Rochester, New York, where I went to college and med school um, and moved here to do my medical training um, and have just stuck around um, because uh, I have a pretty good job and um, and I found love here in Boston. And um, my husband, Peter, is uh, from... Uh, the Cape, and so all of his family, um, all of his siblings live in this area, and um, and this is close enough to my family in New Jersey and New York City, um, so this seems like the perfect place. And um, our happy place is Provincetown, Massachusetts, which is at the end of the Cape um, of Cape Cod, and. We just bought a house there over the winter, and so we want to spend more and more time there. So, awesome! Yeah, that's the that's the gist of me. So, how long have you two been married? Uh, we have been married since 2011, uh, and we started dating in 2006. So, is, is 2011 when it when it was legal? Is that when Massachusetts legalized gay marriage? No, uh, that was uh, legal way before. Um, oh it was, it was like 2004 it was like, actually i think it was right? the first it was the first yeah. so it actually may have been 2002 wow if i really thought hard i i had just moved to boston um and it was pretty soon after that it, that it became legal um gay marriage became legal in massachusetts the the federal thing wasn't until i think 2015 2015 right? yeah june 26 yeah. baby yeah, we were singing. We were on tour with the Boston Gay Men's Chorus in Turkey and Israel when that. Oh God, I'm like getting chills thinking about that. That must have been so cool. It was spectacular. We um, were doing a tour in um, Turkey before our big concert, which was um, very contested. Like the the president of the country pulled the plug on the venue that we were supposed to sing at. It was supposed to be like, you know, for a couple thousand people um, in this um, awesome concert venue. And he pulled the plug on it. And um, uh, one of the big universities there took it on and decided to host us um, fairly last minute. And 
we had police detail and everything. And then we were supposed to march in the uh, gay pride parade um, in Istanbul. Um, and there was like tear gas and like oh rubber pellets um, being shot around. So that, that kind of got, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> made. Um, but it was still a spectacular, spectacular experience and wouldn't change it for the world. That's wild. That's so cool. Yeah, really cool experience. The course is really cool that way. They had gone to Poland and Berlin and Prague um, right before I joined. So probably like, I'm guessing 2005 or 2004 mm. um, and did like a really cool tour there. And, um, and they have since, um, we were in Turkey and Israel, they have since gone to South Africa um, to sing and kind of like pushing boundaries all over the place. I love that. Yeah, it's a really cool organization. They have a great, great mission. Um, yeah, we, we owe them a lot. Spreading the homosexual agenda. Mm-hmm. I can Singing appreciate it from the rooftops. Yeah. <laughs> Sing it out. Sing it out. Get it? Sing it out. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so many of our closest friends um, came from the chorus. They were not people necessarily that were in the chorus, but like friends of friends in the chorus, friends and friends of friends of people in yeah. the chorus. And that just really, it really expanded our network of friends um, exponentially. So it's surprising that in the many years that um, we were in the chorus together, there were very few couples that came out of the chorus. Like we were one of very few couples. And then now when I talk to people about it, there seems to be a lot more couples, whether they came. Trend. Well, I don't know about <laughs> that. I think there are some people that came to the chorus as couples and then a few other people that have come out of the chorus, like having met through the chorus and have coupled off or, you know, dated a while or gotten married even. I mean, it's like, you know, people that, um, enjoy doing the same things when they come together. Shouldn't be too surprising that there's, you know, people that um, get along well that way. Um, yeah, and there's a good range of people. I mean, I think when I joined, there weren't as many, um, like, 20-somethings, and now it, like, really spans, like, 20, you know, people that are in college, way up to, you know, people that founded the chorus and are in their 70s. So really quickly, jumping back, what's your relationship with P-Town been in the past? Like, how long have you been going there? What's the story? Um, I started going there probably, um, oh God, probably 17 years ago when I started like coming out of the closet more. Um, I started coming out when I was in um, med school, at the end of med school. But when I moved to Boston for... Uh, residency, um, I made a couple really great gay friends and would go out for like a long weekend and stay in this like um, really classic Cape Cod house that was super cheap um, that I have rented for many, many years um, for like different holiday weeks. I'm, I'm still like friendly with the family that owns the house. 
and we would just have a ball like having cooking dinners and you know there would be three of us and just have a great great time at tea at the tea dance and mm-hmm. um, but then over the last uh, seven years I started renting a place with our closest friends for the whole summer for like four months from May 15th till September 15th and wow and then wow. and so we'd be there almost every weekend and for like you know holiday weeks and then this winter um peter and i bought a place so oh i'm dying to see it i know and it is dying to see you guys (laughs) soon um it is fantastic we we still have a a door on our bathroom the bathroom is (laughs) yeah the bathroom is still a work in progress but hopefully by the time you guys get there there will be a door on the bathroom and a sink in the bathroom mm-hmm. but it's it's starting to feel a lot more homey um now that i've hung some art around the place and um yeah we're starting to get some light fixtures and everything so it's a place that's near and dear to my heart that's where we all met dave dave chen for the very first time halloween so- yeah. Yeah. I Both of I, you at the same time. I, I, thought I, had, I thought I had met you earlier that Ooh. summer. You know, P-Town is a very special place. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were, you were, went to med school and then did your residency in Boston. What, are you still a doctor these days? What's, what's the deal? Yeah, what's I play, your story? <laughs> I play one on TV. <laughs> <laughs> McDreamy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Uh, I am still a doctor. I love being a doctor a lot of the time. And sometimes I try to escape being a doctor, but I work at, I work at MGH, um, Mass General Hospital in Boston, which is where I did my neurology training. And um, most doctors at MGH have like an area of specialty um, or subspecialty. And so uh, I'm a general neurologist, but I also um, specialize in head pain and face pain problems and see a lot of people that have like chronic headaches and mm. do a lot of um, nerve blocks and Botox for um, treating chronic migraines. Interesting. I used to get migraines all the time when I was a kid. And then once I went through puberty, they stopped. Um, do you ever get headaches anymore at all? Sometimes, but it's always linked to like dehydration, overexhaustion, uh-huh. alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> A common scenario. Yeah. Um, yeah, migraines are super interesting. I could go on for a while about migraines. I'll spare you the details, but um, <laughs> I mean, if they're queer, give it to us. So. <laughs> no, my migraines. <laughs> I will. I will say that migraines are so interesting because they're very, very common. Mm. Um, probably about like 20% per- of the, the general population has migraines and they're genetic. Huh. They're, uh, they usually run in the family. And even um, people that, there are lots of people that have migraines that don't realize it. And that's the interesting part because oh, everyone right. thinks that migraines are awful, awful headaches. And they can be, but they can also be lots of other symptoms, including neck pain and abdominal pain and um, sinus symptoms and dizzy spells and visual symptoms. So, yeah, huh. it's it's interesting because a lot of people 
um, don't realize they're having migraines and, um, and very well may be having them. So Aaron, you look like you've just seen a ghost. <laughs> I'm just like so intrigued because I'm like wondering if my, if my, my headaches have like shifted in my, in my life. Like if they've, tr- it's less like, cause I always think when I think migraine, I think like hurts to look at light. Like I get right. Right. Uh, I feel like right. I'm going to die. Yeah. Right. That's what most people think. And mm. the reality is they can be other things too. Probably a lot of people that get sinus symptoms, um, congestion, um, what they perceive as allergies. Um, studies show that a lot of those symptoms actually can be migraine related, sinus pressure. And um, oh. yeah, there have been some very large studies suggesting that a lot of people get sinus symptoms and sinus pressure as a version of a migraine. So it's it's interesting because, you know, when I treat people that have really bad headaches um, with things like Botox or other oral medications, um, I always ask them to think about whether their sinus symptoms might get better too, and they often do. I bet a lot of your friends who know that you do like Botox treatment and stuff always try to get you to do <laughs> like stuff for like cosmetic stuff. But I mean... I would assume, because, like I said, you know, I'm sure people have lots of comments cause about the cosmetic uses of Botox, but you're in it for sure. the like medicinal, the medicinal purposes. But sure, I didn't that, know that that even. Yeah, I, I yeah. had no idea that that was a thing because I yeah. just. Yeah, I'm like, I'm over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm over here talking about like medicinal purposes of uh, Botox. Like, I've actually heard of this before, but I I never heard of it either. But do people, when they hear about that, start to talk to you about like cosmetic uses for Botox a lot? Sure, of course. Um, I think everyone knows of Botox in the cosmetic sense. Right. It was really actually developed for other medicinal uses. So it's used in many, many places, including the bladder, the esophagus, um, the anal sphincter. Um, and in, uh, you know, p- some, people, uh, some people are more familiar with the um, use for hyperhidrosis, which is like sweaty palms or sweaty armpits, um, that it can help with that. And oh. Yeah. And people are starting to use it in other places, like in the scrotum. Um, for... Oh, God. I've actually, I've heard of that. I mean, I, I saw that, that news about that dude in like Seattle or something who like injected like too much Botox or something into his scrotum and then died. Oh, my so, God. I don't know that story. Yeah, I I'll was, I'll have to look it up, but it was some dude who was like, some other guys like sub or whatever and the dom was like pressuring him and like or like forcing him to like enlarge his scrotum and i think it was with like botox or whatever and he like ended up getting like poisoning because it wasn't like good stuff or he was like not doing it correctly and he died because you shouldn't give yourself botox you should should not you should not (laughs) Um, that is, yeah, that's a general rule that you shouldn't give it to yourself. I, um, I don't know what the deal was with that guy. It sounds puzzling. Botox is generally pretty darn safe unless you have like a neuromuscular disorder, or I guess you can overdose on it, but, um, Botox, but yeah, I mean, sometimes there are different, um, procedures that are done in that area, 
um, to enlarge the scrotum. Like I've heard some really weird things about um, like injecting like tons and tons of saline to like enlarge, right. enlarge them like melons. I think it was saline, actually. Now that I think about it, yeah, that so I'm gonna look it up so that I'm. Not- it could be, and I think in those cases, like you know, when you're injecting that kind of volume, there's definitely a higher likelihood of injecting like bacteria and yeah. getting a bad infection, especially if you're doing it yourself and don't really know what you're doing. Oh God, yeah, I have and, no and idea. Say an unclean, un- an unsanitary environment. Yeah. I mean, those, those areas are not clean in general, but um, yeah. And, and f- when I do it for people with um, migraines, it's given in a lot of the same areas, like it's given in the forehead and between the eyes, but then, you know, it differs in the cosmetic sense that it's not given in the crow's feet or it's given more in the temples and the back of the head and down the neck. Mm. So there's Botox 101. <laughs> Interesting. So I'm curious, I guess... I guess this would be kind of like speculation, but I feel like your opinion, like your knowledge is just better than ours. Um, when you, I feel like there's been a, a major growth and just explosion of cosmetic surgeries over the past few years. And I feel like it's very, very, very commonplace now. I feel like it's joked about very readily, especially in LA. And especially when people found out that I was moving to LA, um, that it's just kind of a, a, not that big of a deal anymore. Yeah. I think um it it used to be that um botox things like botox and cosmetic surgery were thought of as things that people that old the things that old people did. So mm-hmm. like, you know, um you wouldn't do botox if unless you were like 50 or 60 or in like, you know, really wrinkled in the face. Um but it really is I think much more of a something that people are doing in the preventative sense. I don't think people are necessarily having like plastic surgery in a preventative sense um, as much as doing simple things like um, doing uh, cosmetic Botox for preventing the wrinkles from forming rather than waiting until the wrinkles start forming and trying to like halt them at that point once the lines are already like deeply embedded in their face. Um, like I had a, I had a, um, migraine patient who I saw this past week who was in her fifties and she kind of casually mentioned to me that, um, she thought she didn't start doing Botox cosmetically until her fifties and, um, that her daughter who was like 30 was, had already been doing it for a few years. So Hmm. I think that's the general, um, uh, rule or trend these days that people are trying to do it more in a preventative sense. Do you think it's kind of staying as like a preventative sense? Or I mean, I'm sure there's always outliers, of course, but do you think like as a trend, it's starting to move beyond just the general preventativeness? I think that, um, you know, if you, if you looked at Botox use 20 years ago, it was mostly people that were like 50, 60, 70, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now there's... And want to look think, younger. Yeah. And I think that there's many, many more people now that are in their 20s and 30s that are doing it even. Because, you know, there's so many people that um, think that lines in the face are um, mostly age-related, but 
uh, so much of it is genetic. You know, I have a lot of good friends who are in their 20s that have like, you know, very hyper expressive faces that have, you know, lots of prominent forehead lines or a single line across their forehead, just because mm. like one of their parents had that, you know, right. I'm curious if you think again, this is probably speculation, but in these cosmetic senses, I'm curious what you think about the different demographics and like who is going towards it. Because I think especially in media, it's portrayed as like older women who want to look younger. But yeah. I feel like it's probably also very common, especially in like gay men who are very concerned with like looking youthful and young. And Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people um, and uh, in Boston, in, in, p-town in california new york um i know just a lot of people especially gay men that are doing botox regularly now um, mm -hmm. or doing other things like fillers um and um you know i think i know a few like lesbians that do it um but like gobs and gobs of gay men that do it so um, I, I think in general, probably gay men are more vain and, <laughs> uh, you know, cognizant of their mm -hmm. uh, facial wrinkles um, and the aging process. Um, that may be an overstatement, but I think um, uh, gay men are just in general um, more vain. And uh, I, I know so many gay men that do it at all ages um, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Has it kind of like exploded recently? Or has it been like kind of like a gradual progression into like how many people are doing it? Because I feel like, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm only 25. So it's not like I've been out and about in the streets for like that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. it, it kind of seems like I feel like it was like one summer out of nowhere. It was just like one person was like, oh, yeah, you know, I've been doing getting Botox injections for a couple years now. Just us growing up. We're like, oh my God, all of a sudden we see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, th I think so too. But it just seemed like all of a sudden, like in doing that, it was yeah. like, it's like, oh, you're doing Botox? Like I've been getting Botox too. And they're like, oh my God, wait, I've been getting it too. And it was like, it seemed like uh, people weren't talking about the fact that they were doing it or something. I think that's, that's a huge part of it that um, it used to be kind of taboo that it was something that people would do, but um, you know, in the dark of night, um, and they wouldn't, and they wouldn't talk about it. And I think it's so commonplace now that people are so open about talking about it. I know a lot of people that you know do openly mention that they do cosmetic Botox, and I've I've heard them say that other people around them have sometimes you know, said, oh, you shouldn't mention that. But like, they're like, why? You know, I don't care. Um, I don't care who knows. And um, I, I think it's just so commonly used now that people are pretty open and, and don't keep it a secret like they used to. So I bet um, it's not that there's that many people that are new to it, but more people talking about it. Yeah, that makes sense. It does make sense. And it, it makes me curious and also a little bit concerned as to how that's going to affect or how that is affecting just kind of the like 
established beauty standards that we like already have, especially within the gay community. And I'm sure you guys feel this way. Let me know if uh, I'm social wrong. And- yeah, with like social media and everything, I feel like there are such. I almost feel like the. I, I feel like the beauty standards for gay men are so much higher than for like other men. The like head for straight of, men. Sexuals. Yeah, for the het boys. Um, it just seems the like. <laughs> it, it seems like it's insane and that people go to such great lengths or such greater lengths in the gay community to try to achieve these like insane standards sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I similarly worry about it. Um, I think that something like Botox is pretty benign. You know, mm-hmm. when you look at risks of use of things and, you know, what are the potential adverse outcomes, you know, Botox is so minimal in um, adverse outcomes. Um, and then as you graduate from that to things like, filler, you know, where the injection needle is um, just larger because the substance is thicker. Um, And I've never, you know, dealt with any of that myself, but um, I just know that it it requires a bigger needle. So in general, you have a greater likelihood of having bruising or bleeding um, or infection. so I, I guess I think that something like Botox, and I'm probably um, not the best person to ask about it because I'm so um, numb to mm-hmm. um, the general use of it. I talk about it daily and I do it daily on patients of mine. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it's, I, I know it's so safe. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that doesn't mean that you know younger and younger people aren't being um, more self-conscious about you know little things in their face that you know maybe they shouldn't really be caring about so much. Um, yeah. yeah, it's tough. I I've always thought you know when people have asked me you know my thoughts on cosmetic Botox and whether they should do it, like I always think you know it's something they should do for themselves and not because they are worried that someone else is thinking something like they look old. Like it should be something that, you know, you do because you want to do it and you feel like, you know, Oh, these lines in particular, you've never really liked them or something. And it just helps kind of quiet them down. It's not, makes you feel better about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty um, low commitment, um process and it's i always tell like you know patients that i see um for botox for their migraines that like any any mild out adverse outcome it reverses itself because it wears off so um it's it's just very safe yeah i think that's important for sure um what you were saying about doing it for yourself because i feel like I've seen a lot of my friends who are, you know, the, the beauty influencers, especially um, in LA. I feel like lip filler is so common now. And sure. the pe- I know a lot of people who have gotten it because they've always been self-conscious about, you know, they're like, my, my top lip disappears when I smile. And mm-hmm. they're now in a place where they, they're very public about it. They're like, we don't care. 
and they're all I mean almost everyone I know is like yeah I'm unashamed I don't care I feel better I love the photos like it's and I'm just like I don't know I think I think it's interesting that we're entering this age where it is now more commonly talked about and I'm very much of the mindset where I'm like I don't care if it's gonna make you that much happier about your life and about yourself like do it like I don't know (laughs) like yeah it doesn't affect me at all (laughs) yeah I I had a friend um, this past week that told me that when they did filler in their, um, you know, these lines here. Um, the jowls. Uh, yeah, I mean, like people call them the marionette lines, which is kind of a bad term, but um, he, ha- he had them, you know, here, the smile lines, the and smile he, lines. Had a, he had them in his cheeks, and he showed me a photo of himself um, last year, and he was like, it was like the least sex that he had um, in one year after he got them because um, he, it just filled out his face so much that he, it looked like he had put on a lot of weight. And he, was, he just decided after you know, doing that, it wears off again. Um, but he just, just didn't like how it looked. So it's nice that it's reversible and there's no like, you know, long-standing commitment to it. It's not yeah. like going under the knife and anesthesia. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you know, pulling up skin, excess skin, or anything, um, and doing it under surgical, you know, and anesthetic um, direction. So, yeah, I feel like it's these things are pretty low commitment. That mm. is nice. I never knew that. I mean, I guess, I think I knew Botox wore off, but I didn't realize like filler wore off. I, I don't know. I'd never thought of those types of procedures as being, as being low temporary. Yeah, yeah, it was being low commitment. So I guess in my mind, I, I kind of always thought of it as like more on that side of, you know, trying to attain these beauty standards and like putting yourself through all of these things just to like, barely change the way that you look and you know what kind of message is that sending to Mm -hmm. people who are going to have to go through like like a lot more than you or like what why are you saying that we have to like look a certain way to be beautiful and I guess I I, you know I think there is still a little bit of that in this but I think definitely it gives me a lot more yeah I think it definitely gives me a lot more to think about on the other side of it where it's like you can try it essentially is what it seems like. And if it doesn't work out, it's, you know, you're going to go right back to the beautiful self you were before that. I don't know if I sound like a, <laughs> I sound like I'm preaching to teenagers or something. But Yeah. And yeah. I do think that it is important to note too, really quickly, like there is the adverse side of it where now all these young kids who are 12 and 13 are seeing these influencers, you know, getting these cosmetic surgeries done. And it's, it is, it's it's low commitment but it is expensive and it is like there are barriers in place where it's like not everybody can pay six hundred dollars to get a syringe or filler that like maybe they'll keep and maybe they'll see like whatever i don't care like it's it's not accessible to everyone right yeah no there's definitely an issue with um younger people not Mm -hmm. being happy with you know how they look and you know there's not being happy and it not affecting your day-to-day living and then there's not happy with yourself that you know affects your self-esteem and um, and causes depression and anxiety and you know there's a I think a fine balance there obviously and I yeah. think especially for like young queer kids who are already so, dealing with those things or like I'm the only person that I know 
in my town or something that is this way. And then if you like are seeing people who have like gotten Botox or like gotten plastic surgery or gotten whatever to like look a certain way. And that's kind of the standard of beauty we're looking at. They're like, okay, great. I don't know anybody else. And I don't look like all the the queer people yeah. that I'm seeing. That I don't are being see revered myself in these people. Yeah, exactly. It seems it's almost like a it's like another level of representation, creating more issue where there n- need not be one. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. said that you started coming out at the end of med school mm-hmm. have you well where did you where where in the the country were you for med school like was it a not particularly gay friendly place or um i wouldn't say like that it there was yet a, or yeah i i wouldn't say it was a uh not gay friendly place i was in uh, college and med school in rochester new york and i um uh, there was kind of a pretty vibrant gay scene there as far as I got to know before I left um, town. Um, there was like uh, a pretty good gay bar or two um, in town. And um, I was just kind of a late bloomer. I, I think. Um, no uh, such a lot thing. Of- Everyone comes out when they're ready. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I um, was delayed in that I grew up um, in an evangelical Christian family, and um, I'll do it. Whoa, I didn't do it. That. Yep, that'll do it. Um, I um, led Bible studies in college and missionary wow. trips in college and wow. med school, even and um, and it was a really important part of my life. And you know, I still kind of um, think about religion and. Um, and how that fits in in my life um, a lot. Um, but yeah, that was a big um, barrier because in general, like, you know, we were always taught that gay is horrible and bad. And mm. um, so, yeah, it wasn't until I was in my last year of med school that I started kind of going out to gay bars and doing online dating, um, which was very early in the online dating scene um and and then i i left rochester to move to boston and you know it was a really important to me to have a new start and go to a place where i didn't really know a lot of people um to try to start that full-on coming out process yeah i feel that wow i never knew that you that you grew up in evangelical christian household yeah. Oh. Yeah. My family is still pretty evangelical Christian and um my uh parents I didn't come out to them until um let me think for a second. Um 2007. I think it was 2007 or 2008. So mm. I I was kind of into my mid 30s already, right? No, early early thirties when I came out to them, mm-hmm. and they didn't really handle it so well. Um, 
I don't know if they would have handled it any better if I was not already in a relationship with um, the person who I eventually married. Um, but back then, um, they just had such a hard time with it. And so there was a good nine or 10 year period in there where they never met Peter and, um, and we really didn't have much a relationship. You know, we would see each other you know, maybe once a year. Um, even though they are in New Jersey outside of New York City, where I go every, you know, like six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they've they've come a, a long way since then. They're okay. Oh, um, yeah, they're they're in a better place. We we don't like talk super openly about everything, but they have met Peter. They ask about him. They. Um, they ask about our place in P-Town together and um, yeah, they're, they're in a different place, a better place. Good. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Wow. Where in Jersey did you grow up again? Uh, Nutley, which is where Martha Stewart is from. And <laughs> well, now she lives in my town actually. Oh, does she really? <laughs> she does. <laughs> uh, we are both from Nutley, which is like maybe 10 miles outside New York city. It's right next to Montclair and Belleville, okay. Bloomfield, Clifton. Yep. So when you first moved to Boston, was that kind of the first time that you were just like totally out? Um, it took me a little bit of time. I had started dating guys a little bit when I was in Rochester, mm-hmm. um, but I still would occasionally see people I knew in gay clubs and immediately have to leave. You know, like I didn't want them to see me. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to have a conversation about um, why I was there. And, yeah. um, and and the obvious thing is, you know, people would say, oh, if they were there too, like they're probably just fine with you being gay, but it just didn't matter. It's kind of what you were alluding to before, I think, where you said, you know, everyone comes out in their own time and at the right time. Um, I remember like um, the week of med school graduation, one of my close friends actually came out, like came to me and said, um, so I have a question for you. You know, I... Um, you know, some people have mentioned that maybe, maybe you might be gay. And I was like, again, I was already going to gay clubs and like had been dating a guy. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I, (laughs) you know, just because it wasn't on my terms and uh, I just felt so uncomfortable and, um, uh, and wasn't ready to have that conversation. And so, you know, I was like totally denying it. Um, And then I moved to Boston and kind of like slowly started checking things out. And I remember when I was um, interviewing for residency um, in different hospital systems, I would, um, you know, the interview might be on Tuesday or Wednesday. And so I would be in town like on a Monday or Tuesday night. And I I didn't know anything about like gay clubs. Um, I just thought, oh, Boston, like there must be like a gay bar for every night. And I remember going to like machine on um, (laughs) Tuesday night and there would be like three people playing pool inside. And like, I I just was kind of taken aback and waited. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, I thought that, you know, things would be way more vibrant in Boston. Um, and then I moved here and I 
you know, made a couple of good gay friends. And I remember um, one of my classmates um, at work one day, like, you know, came up next to me and said, I have a question for you. Um, oh God. Are, 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 are you a friend of Dorothy? And I was like, <laughs> what? Were you like, what year is it? <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. And oh, speaking um, in code. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like the, the 30s again. Yeah, but I, I mean, I have since, you know, come to realize that that was some term that I don't know what, when it was used, but it's, it's like a, a gay reference to, you We know. should start using that again. Yeah, we yeah. should. I think it was supposed to be, um, a Wizard That's of secret Oz. language. A Wizard yeah. of Oz reference. Somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. It is definitely Judy a reference Garland. to that, but I had never heard it before and I probably have not heard it since yeah i would have been so confused yeah but he explained it to me he was from san francisco i think and oh so he was like in the know yeah he was hip with the hip with the 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 1930s lingo (laughs) exactly he might have been from new york which i'm sure he was way more into the lingo there too it's been a process and i'm you know i'm obviously super happy um now but it definitely took a little time to get there and and i think uh joining the boston gay men's chorus in 2006 um and meeting you know oh, cool. my, hus- my future husband there um was a big part of that so that's super cool i for- i i knew that you guys met there but i like totally totally slipped my mind that that me- meant you were also in the Boston Gay Men's Chorus. Yeah. I was going to ask too how, like, when you moved to a new city, how did you start finding your footing and, like, making those queer connections? Because I feel like that can be hard sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I started going occasionally to, like, Harvard medical gay functions. Um, there would be, like... What? Um, <laughs> yeah, they're, like, social gatherings of, like... Mostly like research people in the Harvard system and um, at the various Harvard hospitals. Like uh, I was at Beth Israel um, for my intern year and then went to a a neurology program that was between Brigham and Women's Hospital and Mass General. And so I, um, there were, you know, if you take all these different hospital systems together and you you know, lump everyone that might be gay or gay curious or, you know, queer or bi um, together, there's actually a good number of people. So they would have like regular bar functions. And I forgot how I started hearing about it, but um, I made a few really good friends. And then like those friends introduced me to their friends. And Mm -hmm. so I had a nice little circle of people um, and some of those people were the initial people that I started going to P-Town with um, oh, originally. Fine. Somewhere along the way, I was like, I should do something that I enjoy doing and just happens to be, like, gay. So I, um, I, had, I had tried out for the Boston Gay Men's Chorus, I think, when I was a resident, and I had gotten in, but then just was so busy I couldn't commit to going to all the rehearsals it's just very understandable yeah I mean I've seen Grey's Anatomy so I know how busy residents are exactly (laughs) exactly what it's like I didn't end up joining even though I you know had gotten in and then um in 2006 I was like let's give this a try again 
and I um, tried out and got in and it's a huge group. I mean, it's like back then, I'm guessing it was like 150 people. And now it's a lot of gays. It's a lot of gays. And um, I think it's grown to somewhere in like the 220, 230 people. Um, But back then, you know, it was still like a little more manageable. And um, I was uh, cast as a tenor one and, um, and I met, Peter, he was also a tenor one, and the tenor ones is probably like the smallest section. Mm-hmm. And um, at the end of the first season, um, I joined in September, and we started dating at the end of December. So that's so cute. Oh, yeah. And then on our first date, he told me he was moving to New York to pursue acting. So no way. What? Yeah. yeah and you so convinced was... him to stay? No, I said, well, my sister's there, and I'm going there. My my niece and nephew had actually just been born. Um, they're twins. They had just been born that um, uh, like two months before, and so I was going every month to begin with. And he gave notice at work the next week and um, continued working. I think until June or May. We moved him to New York um, in August, and I came out to my parents maybe a few months after that, and he stayed there for three years and acted he has a master's degree in acting so he you know he had he had been doing that before after we got engaged i think he decided that um he didn't want to be on the road all the time and he was going to go on a national tour of a musical and wow um he was just going to be all over the place and was he still living in new york at that point he was living in astoria at that point super irony was that it he was living like maybe four blocks from my parents' church. No way. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Hold on. Yeah. Your parents used to commute into Queens to go to church? Yeah. I I was born in New York City, and then the church was in New York City at the time in Manhattan. And then we moved to Jersey. And so we kept going to this Taiwanese American church. And then the church moved to Astoria, and it's still there. And they still go to this church. We, I went every Sunday growing up. But yeah, I would always go down and visit Peter. I was, we saw each other like two or three times um, a month. And I mean, sadly, during that time, I wasn't really you know, communicating with my parents so much. So mm-hmm. I would be like down the street from them and not see them. So wow, weird times. We're all in a better place now, so. Yeah, that was another thing I, I did want to ask about. You just mentioned that you went to a Taiwanese-American church. Did that Taiwanese background influence any part of the, like, mm-hmm. bad yeah. feelings or, like, the homophobia, I guess, that you felt from your family growing up? Yeah, I think that that, that was a huge part of it, too, just because it's, you know, a conservative, conservative-ish Asian culture. culture. It's not like I knew a single person growing up that was gay or um, gay curious. And um, so I, I didn't really have any role models there. I, I hear that like Taiwan has this really rich gay culture, like in Taipei, or it has grown to have a really rich gay culture. And they have like a wonderful uh, pride parade that's gigantic in Taipei. And I've only been to Taiwan a few times, maybe like three or four times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never thought of it in that way as being cosmopolitan, <laughs> but um, I hear it's awesome. So one of these days I'll have to go and check it out. But for sure, like, you know, um, Peter 
has still never been to my parents' church. And whenever I go, it, it's, it's like my parents' family. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of the people from growing up, they're still there or like they're, they have kids now and they still go to this church. Um, so it's still like an important thing to me, but, you know, it's obviously a barrier when, you know, I can't bring Peter there or like, I know my parents struggled enough with um, the whole coming out thing that I know they mentioned it to their pastor. And, you know, I can see like these kind of funny looks coming from um, him when I'm there visiting them. I, I think it's it's hard to dissect out how much of it, how much of the problem was the Taiwanese factor and how much of it was the evangelical christian factor but i think it's it's kind of all embedded together yeah is there a big evangelical demographic in taiwan or is was that more of like a whenever you guys came over yeah that um started i think um the culture is like heavily heavily buddhist and that there's like a smaller sector of christian um people and um, mostly from like missionaries that have gone there over the years. Yeah, my parents came from, moved from Taiwan when they were um, when they moved here for grad school. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a hard thing to you know pick out. Um, you know, I've obviously kind of come a long way from that, but um, you know, it's still a a big part of my you know background and upbringing. Um, I think for a lot of people that grow up in that culture, uh, in that um, kind of evangelical family oppression kind of feeling, um, I don't know if it was just that I I didn't feel the oppression until I was like a full-grown adult, um, that I just kind of came out late. It didn't become such a big part of my past I, I just know you know i read these stories of people that you know went through conversion therapy and things like that i think if my parents ever suggested that to me i would have been like fuck off <laughs> um, but like yeah i think like if i was younger and trying to come out i probably would have been forced into that who knows wow it's scary to think about that is terrifying to think about yeah especially with like the number of states that conversion therapy is still legal in. it's i think it's something yeah it's frightening to think about so we still got some work to do. Yes, we do. I'm one of the co-directors of the LGBT legal services for the next two years. And I think one of the big projects we're going to try to undertake is trying to draft up a legislation to ban conversion therapy in Georgia, which is going to be hefty. <laughs> yeah, hefty, 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 but uh, very important. And I think it's... Absolutely. I think it would get a lot of support from from hopefully from a lot of you know state legislation legislators, but I think a lot of other law schools will get behind it. Yeah, it, it's really nice to hear that you know as as tough as it was for you coming out, and you know for all those years that you didn't have a relationship, that there was a significant amount of progress that was made, and that you know you are able to still have. A relationship with your parents that they can know about your marriage and are you know seemingly happy about their taking that in stride so yeah i uh i think i a friend of mine when i first moved to boston 
was really like strongly encouraging me to like come out to my parents earlier. Mm -hmm. They were like, this friend happened to be Taiwanese and gay also and Christian. Wow. Oh, wow. So he like knew. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of was reflecting on his coming out process to his Mm -hmm. uh, mother and how, how far she had come in the time that, um, that they had spent, you know, kind of going through it together and, you know, I guess he was right, but again, you know, you're just not ready to do it until you're ready to do it. So you know, he was just, he was just um, saying, you know, think about how long it took you to come to terms with it. Um, it's going to take them equally long or, or probably longer. And I could totally appreciate that. Still, it wasn't, it didn't feel like the right time until um, Peter and I were kind of, um, deep in our relationship and it felt like it was something that was becoming very difficult to keep from them. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely many years in there. They were not, there were not pleasant conversations all, all along. There were definitely some all out screaming kind of telephone fights. Um, and, um, and those were hard and yeah, in a, in a different time, I probably would, um, take, a firmer ground on calling them out on their, you know, the wasted years. But Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, they're older and they're of a different generation. And I guess I'm more forgiving in that way. And um, I think it probably helped a lot that Peter was super, super supportive and um, never wanted to spring it on them. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. probably the last guy I dated would have really pressured me to like come out sooner and force them to accept it. And, and he probably would have just like uh, showed up at my parents' church at some point. Um, Oh no. Wow. You know, without um, my approval and, um, and that was never Peter's approach. His approach was always gentler and to not, invade their turf and and i i'm lucky in that they finally came around um before you know they were too old to do it that they hadn't passed away before they were able to get to that place i always say it is what it is and and um i accept where they're at now and want to enjoy the the years that we still have together so that's definitely a good mindset to have i love that oh i miss you guys Oh, I miss you too. I, miss you too. I feel like a good note to potentially end on would be like, what advice do you have in any regard um, for anyone who's younger who might be listening to this? Or even like advice maybe that you would have given to your younger self? I think I would tell myself that everything's going to be okay. You know, that I think there are so many people that are plagued with the genetics for anxiety or depression. And I think I have, you know, some anxiety, but you know, I'm not crippled by it. And Mm. I think um, when you combine that with poor self-esteem and not feeling like um, who you are is good enough, or you're not, you're supposed to be someone different, that it's not okay. And that things aren't going to be okay. And I think I would just tell myself, like, you're going to be okay. What I've learned over the years is that your family isn't there for you necessarily. There's a greater family out there that you can build that will be there to support you. 
there's this idea in the chorus of um, your chosen family, your you know biological family, and your chosen family, and and um, in the years where my parents weren't necessarily there to support me and didn't come to our wedding, um, uh, that there were 130 other awesome friends and family that were there to stand up for us. So, um, yeah. Sorry, I'm literally uh, crying. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I really wish that I could hug you right now. <laughs> mm, I wish I could hug you too. That was a really good note. Yeah, wow. Oh, Okay, sorry. well, let's, let's end the episode with something gay that you did this week. Everything I did was gay. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a good answer. Um, I just came back from P-Town, so I was there for um, five days. I usually go back on Wednesday after work, and this past week, I on Tuesday night after a very long day at the hospital, I just decided, why stay in Boston? And I missed being in P-Town and being... Um, with Peter and sleeping next to him. And so I decided to drive back on Tuesday night and got there pretty late, but um, was able to wake up on Wednesday and be in P-Town. So a great place to wake up. Yeah, a wonderful place to wake up. Matt, what's something gay that you did this week? I guess on like a similar note, texting my boyfriend and being like, I am exhausted and I don't, want to have to like call you or anything i just want to be sitting on the same couch and just exist existing next to you oh mm-hmm. how about you aaron well i'm single so i can't say <laughs> anything of that regard uh i was at the beach all day for a friend's birthday and we went to a gay beach where's where's the gay beach in la it's like a tiny section of Will Rogers, which is like north of Santa Monica. It's I don't actually know if it's like technically a gay beach. It's just where all the the homosexuals go. Okay. I mean, uh, I mean what so else we, makes a beach gay other than just a lot of gays? So I guess. It was very it was a beautiful day. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Queering the Air. Thank you to Dave Chen. Thank you so You're much for joining us. Thanks Thank for having me. We love you very much, and yes. this conversation was so good that we might just have to have you on another time so we can keep doing more of it. Let's get you guys um, out to Massachusetts and um, twist my arm. All right, yeah. fine. I'll come to the haven that is P Town. <sighs> love it. All right. Well, we will see you guys. Or, nope. I'm literally ending this like a. <laughs> well, I'm on autopilot. Um, <laughs> Dave, where can they find you if you want to be found? My Instagram handle is uh, DWC429. Or they can find me um, in P-Town, hanging out <laughs> on the streets. And if you have ser- and if you live in the Boston area and you have serious migraine issues, you know, sure. the, you know the best doctor. Look me up. I'm at Mass General Hospital. Absolutely. <laughs> Aaron, where can, uh, where can everybody find you? I can be found everywhere at Aaron Idelson, A-A-R-O-N-I-D-E-L-S-O-N. Matt, where, what about you? I'm a Twitter lurker and an occasional Instagram poster at Matty Rohr, M-A-T-T-Y-R-O-H-R-E-R. All right. right. Thanks again, Dave. Stay, stay queer. <laughs> Thanks for queering the air. Thanks for helping us queer the air.
Bye, guys. Bye.